0: Thank you, Jesus. You know, sometimes we manage to totally twist the gospel message because we look at it through a lens of how we would treat one another, how we would how we would live and operate with one another. And no greater message gets twisted by that than grace. <clears throat> you know, we'll say we have grace for someone, right? Like our kids will do something, well oh, we have grace for that. Well of course you have grace for it, because they're your kids. It doesn't require grace. If you think about it, it doesn't require grace. What is grace? Grace is completely unmerited favor. They're your children. You're supposed to have grace for them. <laughs> they're yours. They're your responsibility. They're, they're attached to your heart. So grace is what you give to somebody who completely doesn't deserve it. You know, we miss the fact that in the prodigal son, the, the son had done everything opposite to what the father wanted for his son. Everything opposite. Completely opposite. If this was the direction that dad would love for his son to go, he went this way. And the grace message is that despite the fact that he went hard in the complete opposite direction, the father was still scanning the horizon looking for his son. And grace took him in. I was off for three weeks. First week I was, you know, working on a project at the bottom of the stairs. We were taking our old kitchen covers, put them down there. And, and uh, after much debate, I wanted, you know, Cedar. We have white shiplap instead. Uh, I, I, I've come to realize, I think that, that most women have not found a piece of wood that they wouldn't paint. You know, guys like the wood to be natural. Give me some cedar color. Give me some oak, whatever. Women want to throw paint on that thing, you know. And so we've got this white shiplap up there, and I was cutting the top strip. And, uh, and it had to be cut about that, that tall. And so... You know, I'm outside in the garage with a table saw, and it, I'm finishing up at, like, 11 o'clock at night. First rule, don't operate a table saw at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, not when you've been going for 10, 12 hours. So I'm out there, and I, but I've got my little push stick, you know, the push stick you got, so you don't put your fingers near the blade. I'm Pushing the wood through, cutting that strip. And then as I'm pushing it through, it starts to ride up. Everybody know, you know, you get a little thin piece, and you're cutting it. Lloyd, you know what I'm talking about, right? And the, so the piece of wood starts to ride up. So I think to myself, I'll just push it down. On the backside of the blade, right? Yeah. So I did. I successfully pushed it down and pushed my finger right into the blade. And, 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 and because the blade's coming up at the backside, it kind of flung my hand up in the air and took a nice little chunk out of my finger. And, uh, and one of the things I instantly got thinking about is that's a picture of grace. See, we think grace is something God gives us because we're good, because, uh, you know, we're so lovable, we're so... Uh, awesome, and then we end up in trouble that we had no control over, right? We're driving down the road, and the grace of God kept us from this accident or kept us from that. No, no. Most times, grace is applied because of our own stupid choices. Think about that. I experienced grace not because I deserved it, not even because I'd operated the piece of equipment properly. I experienced grace when I didn't operate the piece of equipment properly. And the prodigal son experienced grace when he did not handle the father's inheritance properly, when he did not handle his, his family pedigree and his name and everything properly, when he squandered it all in a horrendous lifestyle, grace was applied to him. And by grace, I still have my finger. Hallelujah. <laughs> and my boy said, well, that was a cheap blessing." I said, you better believe it was. <laughs> I'm going to have a second push stick now so I can, you know, do that, that properly, but but that's what grace is. Grace isn't something we receive because, you know, we were, uh, were just so loved that, you know, God would just do anything for us. That's true. But grace steps in when we're doing, you know, when we don't deserve it at all, when in fact the outcome should be the opposite of what we get. God applies his grace. That's grace. And I had another fresh acquaintance with his grace on that week. Amen? And because of that fresh acquaintance with his grace, I was still able to go to the cottage the next week and be with my grandkids for, you know, uh, a full week. And then I needed another week after that to recover. And, uh, and that week of recovery was putting in a you know, fence and posts and stuff in our backyard. And so now I had to come back to work just to get some rest. That's, uh, that's the way it is. But God's grace is there for us. Amen. And and you might be sitting here today thinking, I don't deserve anything from God. Exactly. That's what His grace is for. That's what His grace is for. If you deserve it, then you don't need grace. Hello? Grace isn't for the worthy. Grace is for those who have come to Him and recognized that my works before Him are completely worthless. Not for the worthy. It's for those who... Everything I have to present to him is worthless. God says, here's my grace. Isn't that beautiful? And that's what makes our our faith so absolutely unique. If you've got any shred of earned deserve left in your Christianity, I would encourage you this morning to flush it away. I realize our society is a meritocracy. What does that mean, Pastor? It means we, we get the raise, the promotion, or whatever. We're supposed to get it because we've earned it. And and, and in the natural, in the the order of things, that's probably a good way for things to work. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not a meritocracy because there's absolutely nothing that any one of us can do to merit what God has given us. The kingdom is not a meritocracy. The kingdom of God is one of intimacy and relationship. And the only way to be promoted in the kingdom is to draw closer to the king. And by his grace, that invitation's open to all. You ever notice how some people get saved and they, they just seem to get it, you know, and they just take a hold of that grace. You know, they were, they were running hard after the devil and they get a hold of God and they run hard after God and they pass three quarters of the congregation in the first year. And some of you sit back and go, it's not fair. You're right, it's not fair. The kingdom of God, no one ever said it was fair. If it was fair, we'd all be rotting in our, our sins. No, but the reason they're able to accelerate and go past so many others is because the others are trying to live by religion, and they've just taken a hold of grace and said, "God, you mean I can have all of this and I can have it for for free?" And He says, "Yes." And they said, "Well, I'll take it." And they take this, and they take that, and they take this, and they take that, and the next thing you know, they're just accelerating like crazy, and you're going. How did they go from, you know, zero to son in 10 seconds? Because in that 10 seconds, they said, God, I want everything you've got for me. And meanwhile, you're saying, I've been working so hard. What do you sound like? You sound like the older brother. Father, I've been working so hard here. I've, have I not served you? Have I not done this? Have I not done that? Have I not been just a prime example of a son? And the father has to look at him and says, son, he said, everything I have is yours. But we rejoice, your lost brother's home. In other words, you could have been partying all along too. You have have access to everything I have, but you're still stuck trying to earn it when it's already yours. And that's such a picture of the church. So many older brothers in the church still trying to earn what God says is yours for free. Still trying to earn what you already have because you're a son or a daughter of the king. Trying to... Earn what God only freely gives. <sighs> Such a waste of time. You just let go of all that and say, Jesus, I just want you. And guess what? You get to go to the front of the line. And Jesus says, here I am. Take what I have. And you go, really? It's that simple? He goes, yes. It's that simple. I don't know who that's for this morning. had nothing to do with what I was going to speak about. Amen. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Jerry. Two two people said it was a good word. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come back from holidays and you got a good word already. Praise God. You know, I do want to just take about ten minutes this morning. I'm not going to preach this whole thing. I'm I'm like, I'm preaching about the prophets, and he's sitting in the front row. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, uh, it seems kind of weird. Uh, But uh, what I want to do today is I just want to. Help us understand why God gave five gifts in particular. Why did he give prophets to the house of the Lord? And I think this is important for us to understand. Why did God do that? What what, what was he thinking when he came up with the five leadership gifts of Ephesians chapter 4? What was he thinking about? What was his intention? What was his purpose? And I want us to understand that. And I think there's some, over the next couple weeks as we unpack this, there's some things we need to understand about the nature of prophet and prophecy in the New Testament, in the kingdom that God has for us. And I think it might be beneficial for you to really just pay attention the next couple of weeks. Because this isn't just about you know Barry or anybody else who walks in the ministry, uh, in the office, or the council of, of a prophet, but this is about us understanding what it is to be a prophetic people and to have that gift operating in the church as God fully intended it to operate in the church amen father I just thank you today for your word and I pray God that like all things we receive this today by your grace father we pray that God you would help us to understand give us ears to hear minds to understand and hearts to embrace today in Jesus name amen you know as Christians we gather worship on Sunday right Right? Today's Sunday. We gather on Sunday. But Jews gather on Saturday, the Sabbath. Why do we gather on Sunday? Why Sunday? Why not Saturday? Help me out. Pastor Mark, you got to know. Resurrection Day. Resurrection Day. We meet on Sunday because on Resurrection Day, the third day. On the, everybody, on the third day. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And and. You know, Mark's, man, I got that right. I had a lot of pressure, you know. I've been put on the spot. What if I got the answer wrong? It's all right. Lily, she was behind you. She had the answer ready to go. So even if you had have been wrong, she'd have got it right. But, uh, you know, Christianity is, is the faith of the resurrection. It's a religion of hope. It's a religion of joy. It's a religion that hinges on the understanding that our prophet rose from the dead. Are you hearing me this morning? See, the main difference between Christianity and Islam and Judaism and, uh, you know, even Hinduism is that our prophet, our prophet died and then rose from the dead on the third day. Our prophet rose not to just, you can say, well, Moses is alive today. Yes, he's alive in in eternity, but he is not yet what he will be. You're like, what are you talking about, pastor? Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he didn't just... He didn't just you know sprout his wings and get a cloud, like the, some of the silly imagery we have about what it is to happens to people after they die. right? No, no, no. Jesus rose from the dead. He came into a completely new existence that humanity had never experienced. Jesus came into uh, you know, being in a nature where he was he's embodied in a spiritual body that will not know decay. But he's not some disembodied spirit. No, no. They go to the tomb. The body is not there. If you go to the tomb of of Moses, if you could find it, or of of Muhammad or anybody else, the body was still there. The bones decaying. But Jesus' body physically rose, and he was united with that body and spirit on the third day. And the Bible says that our prophet lives. Our prophet lives. One of the titles that Jesus was given by people all the time was prophet. What do you say, prophet? What do you say, prophet? Well, in our faith, the prophet is alive. And furthermore, the Bible says that our prophet was the the deposit, the, the first, the one who was a guarantee that we who are in him will all experience the same thing. So here's the thing. It's interesting that this passage in 1 Corinthians, I mean 1 Corinthians, in Ephesians chapter 4, it's interesting that this passage is actually in the context of Resurrection Sunday, even though we don't think about this. This is a good, if it was Easter today, this would be a good Easter message. Because listen to what it says. In Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 7, it says, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train, and gave gifts to men. You're like, what does that mean? What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? And he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the the whole universe. And then it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be uh, pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, what is this passage talking about? What is the prelude to this passage that we quote all the time when we want to talk about the fivefold ministry gifts? You know, it was he that gave some to be apostles, prophets, you know, pastors, teachers, evangelists. But, but what is the prelude to this? What's the context? The, the, the context of this is that Paul is describing what happened when Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible says that when he died, he descended into the lower regions. And then what happened there is that he says he led captives free. Who are these captives Is talking about? It's all those in the Old Testament who had faith in the coming Messiah. You see, Jesus has always been the only way. Someone say amen. He's always been the only way. He's the only way for Abraham, the only way for Moses, the only way for David, the only way for Isaiah or Ezekiel or any of the other prophets. Jesus has always been the only way. And the Bible tells us that when when he descended, he took all those who were in waiting, they weren't suffering under Satan's uh, scornful power, but they still were in a place where they were waiting for their inheritance they were waiting for what would be given to them when Christ the first would rise from the dead. Then they would receive their immortal bodies and they would be reunited with Jesus. That's why in John chapter 8, Jesus, they tempted and wanted to stone him because in John chapter 8, he said, Abraham rejoiced at my day. In other words, Abraham was looking forward to the day of Jesus. He said, Abraham rejoiced in my day. He rejoiced in the day of the resurrection. Why? Because his hope was tied into the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Abraham would have to wait all that time for him to receive his glorified body as Christ had to receive his first. That's why he is the first fruits among many. And he led all those who've been waiting in anticipation for that time for Jesus to be rose from the dead. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, 34, uh, confirms this again. It says, these, talking to all the people of faith, right? You know, the faith story in Hebrews 11, the chapter of faith, and it goes through all the different people uh, and all the different things they did by faith. And it says, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them, everybody say none. none. None of them received what had been promised, which was an eternal existence with our heavenly father. None of them received what was promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us could they be made perfect. Do you hear what it's saying this morning? That that those in the Old Testament, all of those saints who did all those great things, not single one of them could experience their full inheritance until Jesus came and Jesus rose from the dead and Jesus created the church of God and only together with us could they receive everything that was there for them until the prophet came and the prophet rose and until the prophet laid down his life and the prophet spoke the fullness of what god had for all those saints could not happen isn't that something but well, that's what the scripture tells us only with us could they be made perfect that from perfection came for them the old testament saints on easter sunday for us our Sunday's coming. Amen? One day, this tent you're wearing right here that is is made of corruptible seed, the Bible tells us, will finally wear out. But when it does, then you'll be given an incorruptible seed. Hallelujah. Amen? You'll be given an incorruptible seed, one that never wears out. You're not going to float around in the heavens on a cloud for all of eternity playing a harp. I don't know what exactly we will be doing, but it'd be closer to say you're driving a Maserati down the 401 than than to say that you'd be floating around in a cloud with a harp. Oh, come on, Pastor. I'm telling you, I just, it's the truth. We're going to have an existence far closer and yet perfect to what we have because it's a physical earth. It's a physical heaven. It is a place that God is preparing for all of us that yet we will not know death. Are you hearing me? And sometimes our faith gets distorted by these Eastern religions where we're going to be just some kind of spirit moving around in the cosmos. Oh, do you feel that? That's the spirit of Aunt So and so here. And that's the, you know, and baloney. Hello? Come on now. Hopefully, I've got people listening today. So, our prophet, who's the first prophet, the first true prophet of the New Testament? Jesus. Our prophet, the first prophet of the new order, right? When he ascended on high, now we know the context. What was the first thing the prophet did when he rose from the dead? Is he gave gifts to the church? Isn't that interesting? First thing Jesus did, he's raising from the dead, bringing all the Old Testament saints with him. Ba, 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 ba. And he gives gifts to the church so that we will be empowered to be able to transform the globe. And those gifts were apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. That's what he gave. He brought them with him. So here's the question. How in the world can we fulfill the work of Christ if we don't use what Christ gave us? Right? If we only use part of what he gave us. One of the things I've learned over the years is I've started to dabble in construction and woodworking and all that kind of stuff. When we first got married, I couldn't build nothing. That's the truth. It is the truth. I had, I had electrical skills, and that was it. I had no other, no other skills whatsoever. Everybody say none. none. That was me, none. We lived in a little place in Lindsay that was a government... Uh, Housing thing, project thing. And uh, it was a brand new thing that they'd built. And they had this little patio that was, I think, maybe, I don't know, 12 by 12 in size, right? Uh, A bunch of little patio stones down there. And it had a little wooden fence about this high that just kind of went around it. But there was no gate. And so we didn't want Ryan escaping and getting out of there. I did not know how to build a gate. So I had to get one of the youth from the youth group to build a gate for me because I didn't have a clue how to build a gate. I couldn't build a gate. I didn't know how to use a power tool from, you know, like I said, all I'd ever done was electrical. I knew what a drill was for, putting holes in the studs so I could run the wire through. That was about it. So I, I hired this kid to, to build it. And then we moved here to Belleville. I still really didn't have any skills at all. And then we were putting a deck on, and, a, and an old gentleman, uh, you know, old Ron Snyder, he came over, and he sat down with me, and he, he, I, say, he, I said, I'll come over and help you with that deck. And I said, oh, you're going to build this for me? He goes, no, 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 we're going to build this. Ooh, we're going to build it. We are going to build it? Yeah, we're going to build it. Okay. So I started to work with him, and I started to learn all the right, the very basics, how to, you know, I, I, sure, I could read a measuring tape before, but, you know, all the different things about angles and all the rest of it, and, and how to compensate for this and that. And, and, and so we built the whole thing. And, uh, and I started to feel pretty good about it. And then I started to, you know, get a little tool here and buy another tool here. And eventually I started acquiring all of these different tools that I could use. And one of the things I learned is that if you, and this gentleman listen to this story. If you say, man, I wish I could get a bunch of, you know, nice cordless power tools, work the price of one into every project that your wife wants you to do. <laughs> this is how you do it. This is, the, this is how you do it. So... So that you—that's you, how you, you build up your repertoire, right? As you uh, you do that, and and what I learned is is that there's a tool for just about every conceivable difficulty, in t- the task that you can think of. And you need everyone, and you need them all. You know, I always joke around. I say, how many tools do you need for the job? All of them. <laughs> that's the way it works. And and so I, I started to acquire these these skills that that. that that we're dependent on having the right tools. Well, the church has been given some tools. And you might say, yeah, I'd look at you and Barry, and I'd say you're a tool sometimes. Yeah, I I get that. But but you know what, church, you've been given us, right? And uh, you've been given Pastor Mark, and you've been given, uh, you know, these people are tools for you. We're your tools. Power tools, baby. Power tools, baby, power tools. Oh, praise the Lord. That's who we are. We're your tools. And, and, you know, the church can't operate without the tools. You know, I, I think the, how frustrating it was to try and do these things before I had the different tools to be able to do it. Now that I have the tools, I go, it's really easy. Oh, you want to do that? Sure, we just whip that off. No problem. Because you have the tools. But if you don't have the tools, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. And like I said, there's a tool for everything. You know, and and once you get the proper tools, it's a breeze. But otherwise, you're sitting there working and sweating and fighting the whole thing. But when you get the proper tools, it's a breeze. You know, what a picture for the church. There are so many things that we've been given and and different gifts that we've been given, and they're, they're like tools in our hands as a church. And if we refuse to embrace them and to use them, the church is doomed. Are you hearing me? It's doomed. And the first, maybe we should have started preaching with this set first because this is probably the most foundational. This is the first set of gifts that were given to the church was the Ephesians 4. I mean, you couldn't have been given any any sooner. He's literally ascending, right? Ascending from the grave. He, I mean, it's, it's Sunday. It's whenever it happened. I want you to pick an hour. It's at that moment, Jesus is giving that five-fold gifts to the church of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul talks of other gifts afterwards in 1 Corinthians and Romans, but the first, the premier gifts are the gifts of Christ given to the church. And so as I talked a few weeks ago about the, the apostolic gift, uh, today and, and next Sunday, I want to talk about the prophetic gift, the gift of the prophet. Why do we need the prophet in the church? Well, first of all, when we realize that Jesus was the first prophet, we begin to understand that we need that gift operating the church. Jesus is the first apostle, he's the premier prophet, he's the ultimate evangelist, most compassionate pastor, and wisest teacher. That's Jesus. And we've tried to build the church with pastors, teachers, maybe the odd evangelist comes in, blows in, blows up, blows out, you know, that old joke. every once in a while, and have no room for apostles and prophets. And interestingly enough, in ecclesiastical circles, if you look at all the different denominations in the world, you know, they, they did not embrace the gift of apostle and prophet, but they made up all kinds of things that aren't even in the Bible. Right? Look at all the different offices and, and, and things we've created structures, you know, uh, uh, if, if you, you know, just think of any, uh, you know, any denomination. I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but the reality is we've got all these different functions and, and, and cardinals and, and, you know, uh, uh, bishops and all kinds of stuff that, that we just make this stuff up, you know, and they're not even scriptural. But the ones that are in the scripture, well, we ignore those. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Why not embrace Scripture and live the Scripture and let the Scripture teach us what is to happen, and we won't go making up any other kind of stuff? Are you hearing me? Praise the Lord. Well, it's already 11.30. Boy, does time ever fly when you're having fun. (laughs) Uh, You know, a lot's been said about the prophetic ministry over the last 20, 30 years. But what often gets overlooked is that the resurrected prophet Jesus is our example? Why? Why is Jesus our example? Well, first of all, all the prophets of the Old Testament, all of their work was pointing toward the prophet that would come. So it makes sense that the prophet that would come, Jesus, is the one that should be the standard for how we operate. Secondly, the canon of Scripture, despite the re- repeated attempts, Every few years, it resurface to try and discredit Scripture from the Jesus seminars. Have you ever heard of those? Liberal theologians who don't know Jesus trying to prove that there was no Jesus. I find that very interesting. Uh, or films like, you know, The Last Temptation of Christ or The Da Vinci Code or all these different things, all kinds of stuff that people write and uh, things that they come up with. But the reality is the Scripture, the Scripture talks of our great prophet and we need to use him as our example. And finally, the Old Testament prophet held out the word of God as a standard, but we hold up the grace of Jesus Christ as the standard. And so we have a new order of prophecy in the New Testament because now we prophesy not according to the law, we prophesy according to God's grace. Hello? The prophet of the New Testament is rooted in the grace of God. And if he's not, if she's not, then we should not listen. Because anything that that tries to pull us back to law is not of God. Is not of God. But the grace of God can be so released when the people of God are able to flourish under the gifts of God that Christ gave to the church when he rose from the dead. So what's the role of the New Testament prophet? Well, that's what I'll talk about More specifically next week, because I don't have any time this morning. Because it's now 11.30. Those last five minutes went by very fast. I want you to know it's good to be back in the house of the Lord. Thank you for praying for my wife and I over the last three weeks. um, And uh, lifting us up. Pastor Mark, thanks for doing an awesome job. Uh, And uh, Ryan, I snuck in on the first weekend and caught that great word. Great word, by the way. And uh, it was just, a, it, you know what, it, what a joy it is to be able to go on vacation and not worry about what's being said from the pulpit. Because it's a, it's a sacred gift to be given the privilege to instruct the house of the Lord. And so to know that you've got people who carry that close to their heart is, is always an incredible thing for us. And uh, thank you for praying for us. We had a great time. We had 20 of us at the cottage for, uh, you know, a, uh, a week. And um, my wife and I this time got smart. We booked a bigger place with more space for us to have, you know, more opportunity to go, Because oh. when you have, you know, 12 grandkids, how many know that can be a little bit of noise, right? I feel bad for the people that rented the other cottages while we were there because... R20 dominated the entire bay, so it was. Uh, it was if they didn't if they came for a restful, peaceful, quiet time. <laughs> joke is on them. That's probably why they're in the kayaks on the other end of the lake or something most of the time. But uh, had, had a great time and uh, it was refreshing and uh, didn't lose anybody. We came back. We we went with 20. We came back with 20. Praise the Lord and uh, God's good. And uh, it was just really refreshing. And so we're so grateful for your coverage, and so I just invite you to stand with me this morning, and uh, can I just say thank you to the worship team for such an incredible sensitivity to the Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. I believe, I want to just prophesy over the house here this morning, I believe that over the next number of months, God wants to take us deeper in worship. I believe that God wants to, there's some Sundays, we're not even, we're not even going to get a chance to stand up and speak because I believe that God wants to take us deeper. And you might be saying, well, is it because we're, we've done, we're doing something wrong? No. Remember it's get rid of the meritocracy, you know, it's grace, but God's inviting us into a deeper place with him. He's inviting us to just say, my son, my daughter, I'm, I'm here. Just come and just sit at my feet. Just be in my presence. Just draw in from me. Draw in from me. I mean, the word's important. So is worship. You know, sometimes we're guilty of thinking that worship is just something that's a prelude to the word. And I know there are some people that are a little skittish about worship, so they show up at about 20 after, so they can just get a little bit of that, and then they can get, get down to the serious business of, of the preaching. But you know what? We need, we need to be prepared. And I tell you, church, be prepared. God wants to do something in your life. And he's going to do it when you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness. When you're going after righteousness. What is that to go after righteousness? To go after the righteous one, which is Jesus. Amen? And God's going to release something. So I want you to just put your hands out like this this morning. Father, we ask for you by Holy Spirit to deposit something in every one of us that as we hunger and thirst to be filled over the next couple of weeks, so we, we come in here and we don't wait, Father, for the worship team to, you know, kind of work us up, but we come in ready and on fire to join with other brothers and sisters in the house of the Lord. To, Father, step into your glory. Yes, and to, Father, see a manifestation of you in our house, Father, We ask, Lord, for you to just begin to work in us all week long. That The the thought in my mind is I can't wait to get to the house of the Lord so that I can be with the people of God so that together we can encounter what the Lord has for us uh, this week. Father, I pray for that kind of anticipation to be released through the house in Jesus' name. And, Father, we look forward to what you have for us, and we look forward to drawing it in, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come hungry next week. Come hungry. If that means you don't eat breakfast before church, I don't know what it means, but come hungry next week for the house of the Lord. God bless you. Have an amazing week.